Welcome to another episode of Back in Session, your favorite political policy podcast. Some alliteration for you with your hosts, Ryan Stevens and Ryan Demera, the two favorite Ryans. Two favorite Ryans. How's it going, other Ryan? Good. Good. Can't complain. How about you? Oh, not not too bad. Uh, already getting into the holiday spirit in the Stevens house. So um, now that Halloween's over, uh, I know Thanksgiving is still yet to come, but we're uh, we put up the, the Christmas decorations or we're in the process of doing so. So I've determined that Election Day is a good cutoff for when it's appropriate to start really getting into Christmas. I think that's fair. And, you know, my my, my wife made a really good point. She said, we're going to deck like go through all this trouble decorating for the holidays and only be able to enjoy it for one month, like not even a month. That's a good point. Is your tree uh, up? Um, we have multiple trees, and yes, they are oh, all of them up. are up. Oh, okay, Ex- except for that. You I, say I, multiple. Well, I have not done the outside yet. There's two that go in front of the house. How many go inside the house? Um, you have to think about it. One, two, three, four. You have four trees. Four trees. And we just bought a really nice artificial one from Home Depot. Shout out. Are Home they Depot. all artificial? They're all artificial. Yeah. yeah I'm, I, mine's artificial too. Yeah. So we got a really good one after years of like trying to get cheaper ones and the light, the pre-lit lights go out after a year. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, my, my wife loves the holidays just like she loves Halloween. So she, uh, she goes all out and I'm here, I'm here for the ride. <laughs> that she does. Yeah. So yeah, no, we're uh, we're we're excited for another episode. You know, our our bosses are still letting us do this. So thank you, thank you, uh, Dwayne Morris, Government Strategies, uh, for letting this. We'll see how long this happen. goes, I guess. But yeah, um, yeah. So today we have an exciting guest for you all uh, on to talk with us. We have Alan Shankoms from the uh, Chamber of Progress. Uh, very excited to have this conversation to talk all all sorts of things, left of center tech policy. Um, Alon's experience working for Governor Wolf here in Pennsylvania. And then we are also going to be discussing uh, the future of automated vehicles, autonomous vehicles, uh, which is something that, you know, a couple of years ago, we thought probably wasn't going to be in the cards. And now all of a sudden, you can actually go and see these things uh, in in real life. Uh, they're working and, and they could be coming to a state in a city near you. So, uh, Pretty excited for this conversation, and uh, here's Alon. All right, Alon, welcome to the Back in Session podcast. How are you doing today? I'm I'm doing great. I'm really excited to be with uh, Ryan Squared. Thank you for for going along with the Ryan Squared. <laughs> we appreciate it. Oh no problem, no problem. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, welcome. Um, you know, it's pretty somewhat new podcast here. I think we're this is what Demara six episodes. Um, so glad yeah, to have you on. Sense. Yeah, glad to have you on and appreciate you taking the time. Um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you're at now working uh, at the Chamber of Progress? Yeah, so Chamber of Progress, um, you know, is a tech trade policy group. Um, I've kind of always had an interest in tech policy. Uh, growing up as a kid, uh, we actually didn't have internet in our household until I was like 15, 16. Uh, and, you know, I would spend a ton of time doing homework in the library. And then when we got internet, it was transformational for my family. 
um, in college, uh, two of the most formative papers that I wrote, uh, one was on the digital divide and the other was on automated vehicle policy in 2016. So I kind of had in the back of my head that maybe one day I would want to specialize in technology policy. Um, and I've always cared about politics and public policy because I think they're an important vehicle for positive change. Um, so I did a couple of political internships in college and I was graduating May of 2018. And then after that, I went to work for uh, Governor Tom Wolf. No, that's great. And and it's, it's kind of crazy to think about. I mean, c- can you imagine yourself now living without Internet and access uh, to Internet? No, no. I mean, I think all the time, too. Right. Like uh, a lot of what we're going through with uh, the Internet and broadband access. Um, I finished reading two or three years ago. Um, the Robert Caro series on Lyndon Baines Johnson. And, um, you know, they talk a lot about how he actually brought electricity to his home district in Texas. And I think actually the transformation is pretty similar, right? Like a lot of the same regions that didn't have electricity in that era, right, are the same areas that don't have access to broadband. Yeah, I uh, I feel like I'm in, in that weird generation where I was around before the internet. And then when the internet came in, like to become a thing uh, across the country and back you, you both of you probably don't remember this, but when I was a kid, I would have to talk to my parents to make sure that they weren't expecting a phone call before logging on to the dial up internet. So I think I missed that by a few years. I, I might be dating myself here and I know uh, some older people are probably going to kick me for saying that, but um, had to had to throw that out there that I do remember those days. <laughs> but, now, but, now we've got almost everywhere, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so so what what was it like uh, working for Governor Wolf in Pennsylvania? What what was your role exactly? Uh, so I had a, I had a couple different jobs for Governor Wolf. Um, I was his body man at one point. I worked in his policy office. I was also his deputy secretary of intergovernmental affairs. Um, and I, I'll just say, like, it was really uh, an incredible honor to work for Governor Wolf. Um, I really got to wake up every day and think to myself, you know, I'm going to do my best to try to fight for what, what's best for Pennsylvania. Um, and I also think, you know, in retrospect, I think Governor Wolf accomplished a ton that's um, just uh, incredible, right? Like, uh, when you think about, like, the beginning of his term, right? Even things like uh, the six pack policy, right? Like small differences like that actually make a huge impact. But, you know, we also did other huge things like the first child care tax credit, the largest expansion of voter access in decades, right? Legalization of medical marijuana, uh, not to mention education funding or like the Medicaid expansion. I mean, I just think he did so much. Um, and, you know, we're I know we're living through a really partisan time, but uh, in one of the uh, pieces that came out, I think, in the Capitol Star, um, talking about his legacy as Shapiro was coming in and Wolf was going out, you know, uh, Jake Corman and Brian Cutler both had favorable things to say about him. And I think getting a lot of those uh, accomplishments in a bipartisan way, that's that's a big deal, especially in a state like Pennsylvania. Right. Yeah, you said this, the six pack. What What was that? Oh, just uh, before he was governor, you couldn't go buy a beer in most grocery stores. And now you can do that. Yeah, I want to make sure our outside of PA listeners knew what that oh, was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forget. That's such a unique thing to uh, yes. our Keystone State. Right, right. And you're in D.C. now, right? So Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm back yeah. in uh, Philly very often. Gotcha. 
So can you talk a little bit about the Chamber of Progress and, and sort of the objective and mission and uh, your day-to-day work there as well? Yeah, yeah. So um, Chamber of Progress, uh, like I mentioned, it's a tech trade association. Um, so we're partnering with a number of uh, tech companies like Google, Apple, or Airbnb. Um, but we're a bit unusual for a couple of reasons. Um, so first, uh, we're explicitly left to center. Uh, so we'll take a progressive perspective on a lot of issues. Um Part of why that's so unique is if you think about most trade associations, um, you know, the Chamber of Commerce is the classic example, right? Um, They are typically a little right-leaning, right? Um, A lot of their arguments will be around uh, regulation or the size of government. A lot of the arguments we tend to make are more couched in uh, typical progressive values, like how are these technologies and how is this business going to affect, say, marginalized communities or disabled communities? Um, so that's one thing that I think makes us unique. Um, the second thing that makes us unique is um, our companies don't get a vote or veto over our policy positions. So that means that we're more independent compared to a traditional trade group. So we can uh, move a lot faster um, because we don't have to have companies vote to approve a letter or a statement that we might put out. And then you you cover a region, correct? Yeah, yeah. I cover uh, the Northeast United States for them. Gotcha. Okay. And I guess so now it's, it's, you know, approaching the end of the year, um, not many session days left in some states and in other states, there's no more session left. Um, what are some of the key legislative priorities for the Chamber of Progress at the moment, just, just across your region? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we think a lot about um, automated vehicles. Uh, right now, they're legal in Arizona and San Francisco. Um, we're really excited about that. Um, we're looking at a lot of different privacy legislation. Um, anything tech, basically, we're looking at it and thinking about it. Okay. Yeah, no, that that's cool. And, you, you know, you mentioned automated vehicles being legal in Arizona. I just have a, a funny story, and I think I may have told you this at one point. I went to the Republican Governors Association meeting out in Phoenix, I think it was two years ago. And there was a company there that was like showcasing their automated vehicle. And I, you know, walked up and started talking to them and asked them, oh, this is like really cool. Like how, how soon until these are going to be street legal? And they were like, oh yeah, this is already legal here. I was like, what? <laughs> like yeah. it seemed, seemed like almost futuristic. Like we're living in, you know, the Jetsons or whatever, um, which I'm sure you hear a lot working in this space. Now, Ryan, did you did you take a ride while you were out there? I did not. I did not. I I am very curious to try that though. Yeah. Um. Well, I will say, uh, I was just in Phoenix a couple of weeks ago, and you can actually just call them uh, on your phone like an Uber. Um. And uh, I I I'm totally um, uh, an automated vehicle evangelist. I love them. Uh, they're super safe. Uh, I could I could go on. Um, for a while. Um, I mean, I, I just think they're incredible pieces of technology. Yeah, I attended uh, over here in Pennsylvania with our chamber, state chamber of commerce uh, about three weeks a month ago. And uh, one of the companies doing doing EV was presenting and just the improvements and technology. It's just incredible. I can only imagine not just like you mentioned, ride sharing or Uber or personal transportation, but the ramifications it can have on different industries, you know, as the years go by as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I will say like uh, two, two of the things that I think a lot about with the technology 
are, um, well, I think really about three things, but, uh, you know, I think a lot about people who are less mobile, uh, folks who are disabled or senior citizens, right? There, there are some programs through like Medicare to uh, help uh, get those people transportation to get out of their house, right? But if you have um, a plethora of self-driving cars, right? Like the world opens up for that population. Um, I also think a lot about like, there's all these other problems, right? Like obviously the first um, thing that comes to mind is is safety, but you know, there's all these other problems, like for example, food deserts that this could impact, right? Um, there's actually one company, uh, Neuro, where they have a, they have a self-driving vehicle um, that uh, is designed specifically for delivery. So they've got partnerships with like Domino's and 7-Eleven and CVS. I think the Domino's partnership, right, is kind of funny. But when you start thinking about that, right, like the, the that vehicle, right, can take uh, groceries, right, to populations, right, where there aren't grocery stores for a pretty cheap price. And that that's a big problem that I think it can help solve. Are you seeing some states in your region be a little more welcoming to the industry and the technology as a whole? Um, is there some hesitancy or what's what's sort of the 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 feedback that you've been getting? Yeah, I think I think there is um, some hesitancy, but I think there's ultimately more excitement than uh, hesitancy. Um, you know, actually, I'll say that Secretary Buttigieg uh, I recently saw he was on TV talking about how um, he's excited because when you look at the track record of uh, human drivers, it's it's really not that great, right? When you think about um, how often people get in accidents, how often they're hitting people, injuring people, uh, killing people, right? Um, whereas, and if you look at um, the statistics behind, uh, for example, Waymo, um, which is a big uh, self-driving car company that uh, is uh, part of Alphabet, which is Google's parent company. Um, I think they've got something like 4 million uh, total driverless miles since they've been legalized in Arizona and San Francisco. Um, and uh, in total, uh, they've only had something like four serious crashes. All of those crashes were not the fault of the self-driving car but the fault of um, of a human driver. Uh, none of those collisions resulted in serious injury. Um, whereas compared to humans over the same distance, you'd expect to see uh, twice the number of serious crashes and you'd also expect a serious injury or death, right? So they're already much safer than people are. Um, just, just personally, anecdotally, um, I mentioned I was in Phoenix a couple of weeks ago um, and I took... I think three Waymos and I took three Ubers um, and all of my Waymo drives, super safe, super pleasant uh, of my Uber rides. One was fine. Uh, the second one almost got into a serious car accident. And then the third one started telling me uh, a, a totally insane conspiracy theory about aliens, which is very fun, but you know, like, Maybe yeah, those, those could be fun discussions. Yeah, they, they can be fun, great discussions. I don't see a problem here. Yeah, but, you know, like, I, I'm totally game for a conversation about aliens, but I can't imagine that everybody is all the time, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, I'm just totally uh, think that technology is going to do great things.
Yeah, no, I think that's really cool. I mean, at least that not to spend too much time on automated vehicles, but um, I assume there's there's sensors all around the vehicle that can pick up on its surroundings. And I guess how does it how does it keep track of like what the speed limit is in a given area? You know, you're going down a road and the speed limit can change. Does it have that like built into the computer? Yeah. So um, they've actually got. I'm not, I'm not an engineer. I studied political science, which is not a real science, but <laughs> I you're, you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> <laughs> they basically got um, three types of sensors. They've got LIDAR, radar, and just like a normal camera. Um, and with the LIDAR and radar, they can actually see, uh, I think, three football fields in any direction, and they can see over objects. So if there's, say, like a deer, hundred yards down the road, they can anticipate all the possible actions the deer might take and account for them way in advance. Uh, even if there's like a big uh, truck in front of it where a person might not be able to see that deer. Um, so, so that's another huge advantage that they have. Um, I will say one of my rides, um, I was completely uh, blown away by the technology. Um, the car was trying to make what for me would have been a pretty difficult left turn through um uh there's oncoming traffic and then the traffic start to pause and then uh the car starts to go and then it stops because it sees a person starting to walk right which is what you want to do and then the guy who was starting to walk he didn't realize there wasn't a driver in the car so he stops and then he waves the car on and the car was able to recognize the hand signal the driver oh, wow. was making and for me, that was the moment where it really clicked, where I was like, wow, this technology is here, right? Because it's able to recognize um, what a human being is telling it to do. Um, and that that totally sold me on the safety aspect. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's pretty, pretty cool. Do you, I mean, uh, put your crystal ball hat on. What do you think is going to happen here, here in the northeast part of the country? I mean... Who's, who who could be the next or I guess the first in the area to uh, to potentially legalize something like this? Well, so um, in Pennsylvania, actually, they've already uh, passed a bill to legalize them. Um, they're working through the regulatory process right now. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. But uh, Pennsylvania actually has been a real leader uh, in this space. Uh, I think part of that is um, the influence of Carnegie Mellon, just because Carnegie Mellon has so many incredible scientists who are really at the forefront of this technology. Um, New York has, uh, I believe, uh, legalized testing. Uh, they haven't legalized full deployment, but they've legalized testing. And I think Massachusetts also has a bill on the table and uh, kind of similar to Pennsylvania, MIT has a big influence there too in the, in the space. Okay. Yeah, no, that, that's fascinating. Um, definitely curious to see to see where the future of this technology heads. I mean, it's only going to get better, right? At this point, we've seen technology just grow to something that if you were, if you were to transport me from 20 years ago to now, I'd be like, Whoa, like this actually is like starting to look like the Jetsons, you know? Yeah. There's a, there's a famous quote that um, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic and I mean, that type of technology, right? It does feel like magic. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to shift topics a little bit uh, in the healthcare, if that's okay. Obviously, yeah. and I think especially post-COVID, we've seen a lot of developments in telemedicine, 
uh, obviously the kind of the nature of healthcare is just sort of continuously changed. But where do you see new technological advancements coming into play in terms of healthcare? Yeah. Um, you know, I'll say we don't have a ton of telehealth companies um, in our trade association. We have a couple, um, but I will say just in my personal life, right? Like um, actually healthcare and technology is a big reason why I kind of have some of the views on technology that I do. Um, I'm actually a type one diabetic and I've been a diabetic since I was age seven. Um, and just the transformations in technology uh, for my own disease in my lifetime have been incredible. Um, actually on my Apple watch now, I can get my blood sugar readings every five to 15 minutes or so, which is incredible, right? It totally changes what I can do every day in my life. Um, I've actually gotten really into running uh, the past year. And that probably would not have been possible for me without the development of this technology. Um, so I, I will say that um, this is broader than what you were asking, but um, the relationship between technology and healthcare, right, has made me actually a huge optimist about how technology impacts uh, all of our lives, um, just because of how I've seen it personally affect me. Yeah, and I think that's a good segue into our next question. How does the chamber view the role of technology and innovation in driving economic and social progress? Yeah, um, well, I'll say that uh, my my uh, I think we would all describe ourselves as uh, techno optimists. Um, we're all pretty positive about the role of technology. Um, and I, I mentioned at the beginning that I actually grew up without um, broadband. Um, and right now, right, if you look around, right, I think there's still an estimated 27 million adults who can't apply for jobs at home because they don't have internet. They can't get access to telehealth. Um, they they can't get access to information, to news as easily, right? They can't civically engage, right? And like a lot of uh, everything, right, is shifting to be on the internet, right? So I think... Um, if you look at how the world is transforming, right? Like it, it's really hard for those people, right? But it also, right, can help level the playing field, right? Like um, you can apply for jobs, right? Anywhere now in the country, right? If you look at remote work and what that enables, right? I think that's huge, right? Being able to um, work anywhere is just big. Um, I'll mention too, we, uh, we actually helped fight for Biden's infrastructure bill, which has a lot of funding to tackle the problem of the digital divide. Um, and I, I do think, um, you know, we're probably going to see a lot of debates around the role of technology and economic progress um, coming up in the next couple of years. I think I think we're in that debate stage right now, uh, partially because of uh, artificial intelligence and chat GPT and all that type of stuff. Yeah, and in the state like Pennsylvania in particular, you know, we know there's Obviously, the, the corners, but you get into the T, a lot of the more rural parts of the state and uh, access to those types of that type of Internet services is definitely a, a barrier for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of the challenges the Chamber of Progress is facing and advocating for, in, you know, in terms of next legislative priorities? Yeah. Um, so I think for a while, uh, you know, the tech industry um kind of had a honeymoon phase, right? It was cool, it was hip, it was new. Um, and I think we're kind of living through uh, a backlash to that right now, 
Um, I think there's uh, parts of like the political public policy discourse that have a lot of distrust for technology. I think, um, you know, people forget, right? Like uh, I mentioned earlier, right? My personal connection uh, to how my views have been shaped uh, on technology by my diabetes, right? I think people kind of forget like a lot of the positive aspects. Um, but I also think some of that backlash um, filters into public policy decision-making um, in a way that is not always aligned with the data and research. You know, I will say, I think a good example of what I'm talking about here is um, the complexity of um, some digital teen privacy proposals that have been uh, popped up in a couple different states uh, nationwide. Um, I think some of these bills are proposed by policymakers with good intentions. Uh, some some policymakers, uh, not so good intentions, uh, in my opinion. Um, and what these bills will look like, uh, typically they'll have um, uh, a component of the bill that has to do with verifying the age of um, uh, an internet user. Uh, they might have a section uh, where if you're below 18, your parent has to consent to you being on a social media website or a different type of website. Um, and they also often have a provision where um, uh, platforms can't allow uh, teens to show content that's harmful. Um, and I think, you know, if you don't think about that too deeply, right, I, I think you might ask, oh, what's the problem here, right? Um, so I think each of those pieces, right, has its own problems, right? So for uh, the age verification piece, right, um, you know, if you're from uh, the way the way that you would verify your age, right, is you provide a government issued ID, right, or you might have to use a certain type of video technology. Um, so a lot of that video technology, right, actually doesn't work accurately all the time, right? So you could be denying access uh, to the internet to people who are above 18. Um, additionally, right, you know, um, uh, the voter ID debates, right? A lot of that is because, right, there are some populations where it's really hard for them to get IDs, right? So for those populations, right, those people actually have a more dire need to get access to the internet, right? And I don't think putting up that additional barrier uh, makes sense. Um, I mean, additionally, right, a big part of the internet is anonymity, right? If you're, say, a whistleblower, right, or a journalist, right, who's covering something, you might not want to give your ID on certain social media sites. Um, so that those are the problems with the age verification piece. Uh, with uh, the parental consent piece, right? Um, you know, if you, uh, I think if you're a teen in a home where you might have parents who are abusive, right? Or you might be an LGBTQ teen, right? You might not wanna get your parents' consent to go onto some of these social media websites. Right. And if you look at the data, right, um, uh, stats show that uh, queer teens and teens from marginalized groups that have access to online communities, they're supportive. They're less likely to commit suicide. They're less likely to have mental health crises. Um, and I, I think that's a good thing. Right. Um, and then the third piece I mentioned, uh, the harmful content uh, uh, provisions, um, different people have different definitions of what harmful content might be, right? And if you're saying um, anyone under the age of 18 can't see 
any content that we deem as harmful, right? You have to ask, what does harmful mean, right? That's actually a pretty vague word, right? And I think a 17-year-old, right, has a different capacity to view things than, say, an 11-year-old or a 12-year-old, right? And um, you could see more conservative, far-right organizations uh, team up with an attorney general to try to take down, you know, all content on, say, uh, a Facebook related to LGBTQ content, right? And I think what you would see there, right, is um, a freezing effect because social media companies wouldn't want to deal with the compliance issues. Um, so that's a very long answer, but uh, I think that just goes to show, right, that like with this backlash to tech, right, you have to think about the downstream consequences of the policies that you might want to enact. Yeah, I thought that's that's very very interesting, and there's a lot there that I think I haven't really thought about before. So that's a, I think that's an interesting perspective. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then I, I guess you know it's it's a it's a pretty good lead in to what's on the agenda for 2024 for you guys. Yeah, well, I think uh, the two top things are going to be uh, artificial intelligence issues. Um, I don't know if you guys have uh, messed around with ChatGPT or any of the other. Oh, yeah. Uh, a, a little bit, yeah. Uh, More yeah, than Ryan I, wants to admit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think uh, I was at the National Conference of State Legislatures uh, earlier this year where um, I saw you, Ryan, and you introduced me to the country musician Tyler Childers there. I did. Thank you very much. Uh, I was actually listening to uh, Nose on the Grindstone this morning. Nice. Uh, but... uh at the National Conference of State Legislatures, uh, the most packed panel uh, that I saw was uh, there was one about artificial intelligence policy, right? And I think if you look at what's going on right now, right, a couple governors, including Governor Shapiro, uh, Governor Phil Murphy, Governor Newsom, they're forming AI task forces. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of states start to roll out bills having to do with artificial intelligence. Um, and I think... Uh, you're probably going to see a big push for a lot of these uh, digital teen privacy proposals that I mentioned. Um, I I think, you know, um, the the conversation about privacy is good, but I, I do think, um, you know, there definitely needs to be a conversation about privacy held at the federal level too um, for, for everybody. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think AI is like so interesting and in how lawmakers are going to tackle the issue of AI, how to regulate it, um, how to study it. it. It's, it blows my mind really. Um, and for our listeners on our, on our website, on our blog, we actually did do a blog post recently on different governors uh, that have instituted or through executive order, or what have you, uh, these different AI task force. So um, heading into 2024, I think it's going to be pretty uh, prevalent. Um, I'm heading down to, uh, Amelia Island, Florida, later this week to attend the State Government Affairs Council, a leaders policy conference. And one of the panels is on AI. So getting to hear the perspective of a couple of different legislative leaders, I'm really looking forward to it. And kind of like NCSL, I have a feeling that that will be the most well attended of the of the whole conference. I, I NCSL think... actually commissioned a report on it earlier in the year, right? Uh, yes, yes, I think they did. They did, yeah. And then at least, you know, I always find I always find it interesting how small the world is. So we actually met at NCSL last year 
right? In Denver, Colorado. Yeah. yeah. So you worked for the governor of Pennsylvania. I worked for the Pennsylvania legislature, um, lobbied in Pennsylvania, and we didn't meet until uh, Denver, Colorado. <laughs> um, and then we just found out before before we started recording that you're from the same town as the other Ryan. That's right. <laughs> so it's a it's a very small and what's the word serendipitous. It's <laughs> a very Delco thing. Yeah, more yeah. than anything. We're we're Delco pride. Go birds. That's right. Go birds. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> yeah. Ryan, how's your NFL season going? Yeah, I don't want to talk about, about it. as good as the baseball season went. Right, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. I, I do actually have a, a piece of, we always usually like to end with a couple of fun questions for guests too. I yeah. do have a piece of Delco trivia for you Oh, that man. I did. I did look up during the call. So okay. Okay. Uh, I'll be really impressed if you know this. What year did Delaware County split off from Chester County and officially form? That's tough. It's very, I, I wouldn't have known if I hadn't looked it up. You know what's crazy is um, last Monday, Tuesday, I was in my hometown uh, and I went for like a long eight mile run and I passed the Delaware County Courthouse and I stopped to look it's at a beautiful the- courthouse, by the yes. way. And they had a sign that said the year and I cannot remember the year, but I remember that I read the sign. Um, <laughs> That's 1789. Oh, man. Oh, man. OK, I'm going to pass the sign again. Yeah, we we split from Chester County in 1789. I say we as in collective, like I was there, right? But and and we've been better since then. And we've, <laughs> we've been better since. That's right. So you you might be a little bit biased for Pennsylvania, but in your current role, you're able to to go out and see new new cities, new places. You mentioned you were just in Phoenix. We you know we've seen each other in Indianapolis and Denver. What's your favorite state capital city and Another question: What's your favorite state capitol building? Oh, that's easy, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I'm a I'm a hometown. Guy. Sh- <laughs> Other than outside of Pennsylvania, I should say. Um, outside of Pennsylvania, um, you know, I should mention. Uh, so I I grew up in Delco, but my mother plays in the Harrisburg Symphony. So um, I would go to Harrisburg a lot growing up. Um, so if any of you guys uh, want to go to Symphony tickets. Uh, go see the Harrisburg Symphony. You should. Um, They're awesome. And you'll see my mom. Um, But outside of Harrisburg, um, you know, I really like Boston, uh, which feels blasphemous to say as a 76ers fan, as an Eagles fan. Um, But I also really like Minneapolis. And uh, I think Sacramento is severely underrated. Yeah, we've heard a lot of good things about Boston from from different from folks. the outside. I've never been inside Boston, but from the outside, it's beautiful. But Minnesota and California are definitely two off the radar answers. I've never never heard those two before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I should say too. I'm thinking about the character of the cities as a whole, um, and not just the state capitol buildings. But cool. Well, Demer, do you have any other questions? No, nothing else on my end. Thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, the, the only other question I have is where can our listeners learn more about the Chamber of Progress? Um, you can go to our website uh, or you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Alain, A-L-A-I-N underscore mower uh, on Twitter and uh, threads. Alain mower. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Never going to forget that. Yeah. Uh, 
And you know, Ryan, I do want to briefly say that since we've met uh, in Denver at NCSL, I've just been really impressed. Uh, every time we talk, um, you're just really smart, thoughtful guy. And um, I, I really appreciate that about you. And thank you for yeah. that. Yeah, no, thank you. That's a very nice compliment. Um, you'll have to tell that to my wife. So she knows. He doesn't uh, get those off as well. <laughs> you just made you just made his mom. Yeah, I'm going to have to re- uh, show her this recording before uh, before it goes live. <laughs> but thank you. Appreciate that. And yeah, yeah. it's, it's always it's always been a pleasure whenever we're able to spend some time together. So um, definitely hope definitely hope we can get together soon. Yeah, yeah, I hope so, too. I'm sure we'll see each other uh, at some state capital, if not Harrisburg. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Alon. Yeah, thanks. thank you. And that that wraps it up, Ryan. Uh, another another episode of the Back in Session podcast. Any closing thoughts? No, I think it was great. Always, uh, as I mentioned, I recently attended something here in, in PA where a lot of the focus was on automated vehicles. So hearing his perspective on it uh, definitely helps supplement that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thought it was a great discussion. Looking forward to seeing Alon on the on the so-called circuit, some of these events coming up, uh, you know, here. That time here. of year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's that time of year. NCSL's doing stuff. CSG, RGA, DGA. Um, everybody is 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 meeting and and uh, sharing and collaborating um, different ideas. I'm excited to attend the SGAC uh, LPC Leaders Policy Conference coming up this week. Um, I know I already know I'm going to learn a lot, meet a lot of good people, catch up with new friends or catch up with old friends, meet new friends. Um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a fun time heading into the holidays. Hopefully somewhere warm. Yes, exactly. Fingers crossed. All right. You want to gavel us out? Yep. I will gavel us out. And uh, until next time, folks, when we will be back in session. Back in session.